Welcome to God Mode, Living Life Undefeated. Join us each week as Pastor Chris delivers a message to encourage, challenge, and empower you to live life in God Mode. All messages can be listened to at www.godmode.life. Let's join today's message. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to God Mode today, where I really believe we can live a life undefeated. You know what? How many of you today would say that you're probably smarter than the average person? Come on, raise your hands. It's okay. Let's have some fun. You don't have to be humble. I mean, you may not say it, but most of you think it. Most of you think you're a better driver than most people. Most of you probably think you're less sinful than most people. When it comes to issues, most of you think you're more right than most people. I can't speak for all of you, but I can speak for me. And I know that I am way above average. And I'm not bragging because it's not easy. I mean, it's hard being right all the time. Because we live in a world where there are so many important issues and so many dumb people. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, let's just be honest. And so if you want to know what to believe about anything, I'm here to tell you what you should believe because I'm just incredibly right. You know, I, I know I'm being a little sarcastic, but work with me. If you want to know about theology, I can tell you what to believe about end times, about spiritual gifts, about women in ministry. And those of you who disagree with me, I'll show you why you're wrong. I can show you about the right approach to the vaccine, capitalism, bearing arms, abortion, sexual and gender issues, capital punishment. I just want to tell you, don't just sit back and bask in the glory of my brilliance because it's exhausting being right all the time. Okay, the sarcasm has ended. What I want to do today, if it's okay with you, and I'm going to push you a little bit. If I don't push you or make you mad a little bit, I'm probably not doing a good job. So if it's okay that I push you, just say, go ahead, push me. Come on, wherever you're at, just say, go ahead, push me. And just remember, you asked for it. And I want to give you the contents of a verse that we're going to start with today from Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter, starting in the ninth verse, in a context so you'll just understand. It was Jesus surrounded by some people. And just to kind of say it bluntly, they're a little bit lot like people in culture today. They were always right. They were right about everything. Their goal above anything else was to be right. We know the way, we behave the right way, we're right. They thought they were smarter. They thought they were better. They thought they were holier than anyone else. And in verse 9, Jesus told this parable, Scripture says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, if you don't know about a Pharisee, a Pharisee was a very outwardly righteous. They would dress the part. They would pray loud in prayers in public, and they followed 613 rules or laws. We Christians would, would follow 10. They had a lot more than us. They were outwardly righteous. 
The tax collector, though, was outwardly despised because of his outward sinfulness. And so we have one guy that is visibly righteous and one who is visibly unrighteous. Scripture says in verse 11, the Pharisee, the righteous one, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, the robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he gives his spiritual resume for success. He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and cried out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the humble one, the tax collector, the unrighteous one, rather than the one who went home justified before God, for all those who would exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who would humble themselves will be exalted. What's so interesting to me about this text is that the Pharisee saw himself as right and the tax collector was wrong. He was right and the other guy was wrong. But to Jesus, it wasn't just about right and wrong. It was also about pride and humility because proud people don't love well. The title for today's talk is, You're Not As Right As You Think. Let's pray for a second. Father, we ask you today that by the power of your word, wherever we are, wherever we think we are more right than we are more loving, would you humble us, God? Humble us so you could exalt us to use us to make a difference in this world. God, soften our hearts to receive your love and to show your love in all we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Ask yourself, are you the tax collector? Or are you the Pharisee? I've been talking several weeks now in this series called No Offense. And there is so much tension and so many people that are right, completely convinced on opposite sides of their rightness. And unfortunately, as Christians, if we're not careful, it's really easy for us to slip into our own rightness and our own spiritual pride, much like the Pharisee. In fact, I would say respectfully that with all good intentions, sometimes those who are followers of Christ, we tend to think that part of our job as a Christian is to be right, that we're supposed to be right. We're supposed to be right. We preach the truth because we preach the truth. We are right, which is partially true, but because we are right, Sometimes we get offended by those who are wrong, and we can find ourselves being offended by anything they do that we think is not right. We're offended by what they post, or how they vote, or what they believe, or how they behave. And if we live offended long enough, an offense starts to settle in our heart. The offense simmers and it starts to grow, and it grows from offense to contempt. And instead of hating what someone does, if we're not careful, we start to hate who they are, which is never a good place for a disciple of Jesus to be. But we're Christians, so we're right. We're guardians of the truth, right? We are, we are, and truth matters. But if we're not careful, since we're guardians of the truth, we may be offended by those who do wrong. 
And then suddenly, and suddenly we start to think that it's actually our job to assess people, not judge them, but assess them. Almost entirely different, you see, because I have the authority as a Christian to assess where people are. And if someone asks me what I think of someone, I will assess them. He's an okay guy, but he's way too into himself. Or she's great at what she does, but she lets her kids run wild. It's our job to assess because we're right. We're right about theology. We're right about churches. We can become no real theological background or training. We can be armed with enough truth to assess churches anywhere and everywhere. We know which ones are good and we know which ones are bad. And because we're right, we tell everyone that that church is too shallow or that one's too boring and my church is right. We don't teach that feel-good, soft matches, but we teach the unadulterated Word of God, the exegetical verse-by-verse teaching, just like Jesus didn't do. I'm sorry, I, I mean, that just came out. But, you know, but we push off on others instead of perhaps who God called us to be. We're right. Our way of doing it is right. And everyone else who doesn't do it our way has to be wrong. The Pharisee was right and he knew it. So he tells everyone else how right he is and looks down on those who are wrong. And sometimes without meaning to, we can actually do the same thing because I don't know about you, but I've got the right approach to COVID. I've got the real resources. I've done the research. I'm right. I know how people should spend their money and you should do this too. Boy, if I have money like that, I wouldn't spend it on that. I know how to spend money. I'll tell him what Bible verse to read. I'll tell him how to dress. I'll tell her why she should not use spray tan because she looks orange, right? We tend to think that we're the best assessors, the best judges. We are really the most right. But the truth is every single one of us are sinners. We're all sinful. Our hearts, the Bible says, and you want to quote the Bible, our hearts are wicked and very easily deceived. And as much as we may think we're right about so much, we're often very, very wrong. And if we are right, our approach may be very wrong, which discounts our rightness. Maybe if you really, really right, what if you are more right than most? What if you're right but you're not loving. What if there are Christians who are right, but they're rude? What if there are Christians that are right, but they're a jerk and they're, they're doing this and they're trying to make their point, but they're really not making a difference? Jesus wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. He was also concerned about pride and humility. The tone matters so much. The approach matters so much. I'll give you an example. And again, I'm entering the sarcasm mode. I I feel like sometimes I need to say this because maybe you'll take me literally. So I'm entering this sarcasm mode. A little bit of truth to this, but I want to play a little game. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself because I want you to hear this. I want you to know because I am really a follower of Jesus, more faithful because of how amazing I am. Because I need to really need to warn you, I'm pretty dang amazing. So I'll just tell you that. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I tithe 10% of our income and I give extravagant authors and 
offerings, and I very rarely watch TV or mature shows that don't let that filth get into my mind. And when we do, I have this filter that takes out all the bad stuff. I mean, I'm just really holy. I mean, a holy person. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke or, and I don't do anything like that. I, I eat a high protein, a high low carb diet. I work out five days a week. I take my wife on weekly dates and sometimes two, and I pay off my credit card every single month. So I would ask you, do you like me? Do you want to follow Jesus because of how holy I am? We have to understand this. People aren't drawn to Christ by our moral superiority. They're not drawn to Christ by how right we are. Just because we're right, it doesn't mean that we're making a difference. And by the way, before you hate me and all my righteousness, I've made a few mistakes in my time. I've done some things that are wrong. And that may offend you, right? Because you can get mad at me and judge me all you want, and you can assess me. But I tell you right now, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect at all. And Jesus, he is the only one who is perfect. Let me say it again, because some point you may want to respond to this. Jesus is the only one who is perfect. He's sinless. And what's fascinating about Jesus is though he was without sin, he drew sinful people to himself. Though he was perfect in every way, those who were very imperfect, full of darkness and secrets and sinfulness, they felt drawn to him. I'll give you four examples. Jesus went to parties where sinners flocked to him, enjoyed his company, and loved being with him. Second example would be this, that there was a prostitute so moved by the love and grace and the glory of Jesus that she knelt down at his feet to worship him by pouring very expensive oil and perfume upon him. Another example would be the fact that there was a tax collector hated and a despised man who would have stolen from his own to give to the money to the Roman government, who would use the money to go and to kill or to punish his own, who didn't follow the Roman government, and Jesus came over to this guy's house for dinner? There was a woman who couldn't seem to hold a relationship together. She went from bed to bed, man to man, and Jesus spent time loving her and offering her for what she was looking for. A living water that would fill that which is empty on the inside. He was perfect and without sin. And yet he drew sinful people to himself. Why do you think that sinful, broken people wanted to be around Jesus? The answer is because Jesus didn't make them feel wrong. Jesus made them feel loved. In fact, I want to read to you what I would consider to be perhaps the most important verse in the New Testament on is how to, we should treat other people. It's from John's Gospel, John chapter 13. And before we get to the main point, I want you to, to embrace the context of what's going on and when Jesus talked about how we should love one another. So we'll start in verse 1 of 13 to get the context. Scripture says that Jesus knew the hour would come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So if you can imagine, he has been faithful to God and he's now preparing to give his life on the cross. He knows the clock is ticking, coming toward this moment. Scripture is saying, having loved his own who were in the world, 
I love this. What did he do? He loved them till the end. How did he do that? They're sitting around a table or on the ground, probably kneeling, having a very intimate supper, the last meal together, and they're eating. And Jesus gets up and shocks everyone there. As he takes off his outer robes and he goes and puts on a slave's apron, a servant's apron, and he kneels down to the disciples and does something that shocks them. He starts to wash their feet, something that only a slave would do. And he loves him in the most humble serving act. They're shaken. They're stunned. I mean, they're rattled. He goes back to eating. And he says, one of you will betray me. And Judas, he realizes it's him. And Jesus says, what you must do, go and do quickly. And Judas leaves and the others go off to betray Jesus. Now, this is the content when he says I'm, what I'm about to read you at his last meal with his best friends. He knows the suffering is about to come. He is loving and serving them with the most sacrificial, humble act of all to wash their dirt off their feet. And while he is being betrayed by one of his closest friends, he says this, my children. The word in Greek translated it as my children is the only time Jesus used this word, the word technia. It's a relational term. What I like about this is that every other time he's Jesus, the man, he's Jesus, he's the man, he's the friend. And now he's God, the father, in the presence of the son. And suddenly the term is my children. The tone is different. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. I'm about to give my life. You'll look for me just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now, hey, where I'm going, you can't come. And then he says, a new command I give to you. The word in the Greek for new, it means fresh. It means not worn out. And in this context, when he says it, when he loves them to the end, I want you to feel the power of the words and the contents of knowing he's going to give his life. Of knowing what he just washed their feet and knowing that he was just betrayed. He says, love one another as I have loved you. As I am loving you right now in this way, in this manner, in this style, in this contents, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is beautiful. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, how will they know if we love Jesus? How will they know if we follow him? How will they know that we're his disciples? They won't know where we're disciples by what we're against. They won't know where his disciples by how we vote or by what we post, by how right we are. They will know that we belong to Jesus by the way that we love them. So why do we often not love others the way that Jesus loved us? Why do, why do we not love others in this way? The answer could be because we're we're so busy being right. We're too busy being right. Jesus was concerned with right and wrong, but he was also concerned with pride and humility. Because when we start with the prideful stance that I am right, we have a negative cycle that takes place. If our posture is, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I have the truth, I'm always right. The first thing we feel is morally superior because we are right 
and other losers are wrong because I feel morally superior, then it's very easy to become judgmental of those who are not right, of those who are different, of those who are wrong. And because I feel superior, I am judgmental. It's easy to become angered and offended, which unfortunately is where so many people live today. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus was. Think about it. Jesus was the most right and the least judgmental person that ever lived. He was the most right. He was perfect, and yet he was the least judgmental. In fact, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the beautiful story of the woman who was caught in adultery. I mean, let's name the players in this story. There were the Pharisees who were technically right, and there was a woman who was completely wrong. She had sinned along with another man that's not mentioned, but we'll leave him out for this, for this, for some reason, we don't know why. The Pharisees were right. The woman was wrong. And so Jesus said, if you've never ever sinned to the Pharisees, you have the right to judge her. You can throw the first stone. But if you've sinned, you have no right to judge her. So think about it. Jesus had never sinned. He was the only one who hadn't sinned. So he had the right to judge her, but he didn't. What did he do? He wrote something in the sand and the men started walking away. We don't know why, but tradition tells us perhaps he was writing down their sins, which I think is really funny. Here's what you did. You lost it. I'm out of here. See you guys. I'm going back to lunch. Think of something else to do, okay? Jesus never sinned. The men left one by one and Jesus looked at the woman who was wrong the woman who had sinned, and he said, where are those who came to condemn you? And she said, they're not here. And so he looked at her and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. Now here's the truth. He said, go your way and sin no more. It was truth overwhelmed with love. Now I want to ask you, what do you think that woman felt when she was wrong and yet he treated her that way. What do you think she felt? She felt valued. She felt seen. She felt love in spite of her sin because her heart was different. Jesus is concerned with right and wrong, but he's also concerned with pride and humility. Here's the different imposter. If we start with the idea that I am right, we feel morally superior we become judgmental, and we are easily angered and offended. But instead of out of humility, if we start with the idea that I'm forgiven, we feel profound with gratitude. And our gratitude then leads us to becoming more accepting of those who may even be wrong or may be different. And because we're more accepting, we're overflowing with love. And we continue with a posture of forgiveness and gratitude and love and grace. Instead of being right and ineffective, we can be humble and we can be loving. We can still share the truth, but do it in an effective way because we don't change people by judging them, but by loving them. Now, I told you I was going to push it, and I'm going to push it. I'm going to tell you a story that's risky for me, because some of you may be like, it's no big deal, and that's fine. Some of you may listen, and some of you may be thinking, oh, after you hear the story, I'm going to stop listening to this podcast. I can't believe you did this. What I did is something I'd never done before, and 
I knew who knows if I ever do it again. But I, I'm going to tell you what happened. I was playing basketball one day with a guy. I'd, I'd never met him before. We started playing. We were playing in a game. Then we were playing a little one-on-one. One, and he was way better than I was. And he was just so cool. And he was saying a lot. And we were laughing at him. And then it comes to that question. This is your girl that goes. comes to that question. By the way, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And at the moment I told him this, his continents changed and he looked scared. He said, oh my gosh. He said, I'm not religious. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're a pretty good ball player. He says, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not religious. And he's, then he said, I don't know how to roll with a pastor. And I'm like, well, you're doing a pretty good job throwing in them three throws and everything else. I think you're doing okay. And what I noticed in the next time as we were playing I mean, he tightened up and really he was going easy on me. And, and then he said a bad word. It was uh, what I call a low cheer bad word. Just in case you're wondering, I know you're going to wonder what was it. And I'm actually going to tell you what he said. The word he said starts with a D and it rhymes with ramen. So you got it? Okay, you got it. That's what he said. And the moment he said it, his continence just completely changed. And he cowered and he stepped back. This guy who could whip me every way, he looked afraid of me all of a sudden. And he put his hands up and he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm such a bad person. I'm so sorry, so sorry. And it wasn't just like an appropriate, respectful apology. It was like guilt and shame, dark shame in the moment. And all these thoughts flooded into my mind. I thought, who in the world rejected him and pushed him in a way? Like, I mean, held him to such a standard and he had really never agreed to. And so he said the D word. In a moment, I, I just said, I don't give a... And I said the D word back. Now, just in my defense, the word is actually in the Bible. So again, I'm not bragging and I'm not even saying I should have done it. But in that moment, I felt like it was an unusual way to love him. And when I said, I don't give a the D word, he looked back and he just melted. And I said, look, man, I've said a lot worse in my day. I'm not going to judge you for that. I just want you to know Jesus has forgiven me of so, so much. And God loves you exactly as you are. And to be honest, I think you're pretty cool, too. I mean, his eyes watered up and this guy just reached out. I mean, I barely knew this guy. And he gives me the biggest hug I've ever had. And I'm not sure what God would think about the word, but I know what he would think about the love. And because we rarely help someone by judging their sins, but we might help them by loving them and pointing them to the one who forgives their sins. It was the Apostle Paul who says this, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding God or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I have nothing. We could say if I read my Bible plan every day and have a streak longer than anyone in church, but do not have love, I'm not really making a difference. If I go to church every single week and I have all the right views about everything, but we do not have love, I'm not really making a difference in this world. By the way you love one another, 
This is how they will know that you are my disciples. Who are we? We are the body of Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are a light shining in a dark world and we lead with love. We lead with love. To Jesus, it wasn't just about right and wrong. It's about pride and humility because proud people don't love well. But humble people, forgiven people, forgiven people who love people who are hurting and love people who are broken and love people who need the grace of Jesus just like I need the grace of Jesus. So I told you I'd push you, and I'm going to push you a little more. Listen, if you're right about so much, you're not as right as you think. Because you may be right in your ideas, but you're probably not right in your approach. And Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to tell the truth. But he never, ever told us that you'll know us by our rightness but they'll know us by our love. So, Father, today I ask that you would empower us, God, to be a force of unstoppable love in this world. And God, while we live in truth and love the truth and seek the truth, may we always speak the truth in love. Empower us, God. And when we think that often, well, that I can't wait for somebody else to hear this message, God, it's for us. Open up our hearts to be humble before you that we can lift us up to make a difference in this world. Father, I pray that this message would go deep down inside of us, that, Father, we would truly be known by our love, truly be known as disciples of who you are. Father, take us and change us and search us deeply in our hearts so that, Lord, one day we can look and see people and love them the way that you did. I just thank you for tuning in today. I pray that this message is in some way spoke to your heart, encouraged you, maybe challenged you. I hope it's challenged you because there needs to be no offense and you and I need to stop thinking we're all so right. God bless you. I look forward to tune in next week. I've got one last message in this series, but I hope that you'll stay with it because God wants to do something in our hearts to change us. God bless you. See you next time. Thank you for listening to today's message. You can hear all of Pastor Chris's messages at www.godmode.life. Join us next week as we continue on in this series. Please leave a review of this podcast at podchaser.com.